Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside my colleague Wes Hodkowitz. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. And Wes, we are back here in our studios at Lambeau Field to discuss the Packers uh, Saturday night 16 to nothing loss to the Minnesota Vikings. And I guess another one of these games that you just chalk up to a, a frustrating sequence of events in a frustrating season because... Uh, the game was kind of there for the taking. Minnesota's offense was not lighting up the scoreboard by any means, but the Packers, some misfires by Brett Hundley, some good throws by Brett Hundley that were not hauled in in some crucial situations by his receivers. And when it was all said and done, the Packers unfortunately suffered their second shutout loss at home in 2017. Yeah, I, I think, Mike, as I went back and watched this game, it goes back to something you and I have talked about uh, numerous times throughout the course this year. The, getting on that same page it just seemed like when Brett Hundley made the throws his receivers didn't come through and then when his receivers got separation there were opportunities Brett Hundley didn't put the ball where it needed to be uh, that that isn't a recipe for success uh, and those missed opportunities really ultimately especially against a defense like this and an offense that while it wasn't explosive on Saturday night in the Minnesota Vikings didn't turn the ball over it's going to be tough to overcome all that. I, I just think when when the Packers look back on this, it, in in some ways, and you and I even said it during the in the press box on Saturday night, it really did remind you of that Baltimore game where there was an opportunity. The defense put them in a position to win that football game, and the offense, while it drove the ball at times, wasn't consistent enough and didn't make uh, didn't take enough advantage of those red zone opportunities. Yeah, and what I thought was different about the Baltimore game is. I thought against the Ravens, the Packers' offense, frankly, looked rather helpless at times. Yeah. And this particular game against Minnesota, I thought the Packers just didn't help themselves yeah. because the the most frustrating thing about the drop passes when Brett Hundley did make a good throw is a lot of them were on third downs. They right. were to move the chains, to keep drives going. Pretty much all of the drop passes, I believe, if, if I'm recalling all of them, they would have, at a minimum, gained a first down. Right. They, these weren't you know, little sideways checkdowns where guys are dropping things and things are looking sloppy, but you don't really know if those plays are going to get anywhere. These drop passes were for first downs to keep drives going, to get the quarterback some confidence, to get him in a rhythm, and it just never really came together. And, and the killer mistake that Hundley made was the one at the end of the first half. It's a 10 to nothing game. The Packers are driving. You have a tremendous opportunity to get it to 10-7 at halftime or a minimum 10 to 3. It's third and 3 from about the 15-yard line. You're in the red zone and Harrison Smith picks him off on a pass over the middle that Hunley knows he never should have thrown it. He locked on to Kendricks, the tight end, early, kind of stared him down a little bit, and, and Harrison Smith is uh, is going to read that and make the play, and he made Hunley pay for it. Yeah, and I think this is the most frustrating thing cause when you, for, as far as the Packers are concerned because if you do look at the game, there were a lot of positives. The offensive line played really well. The defense kept them in this thing. It's just in the areas where the Packers needed players to step up, it just didn't happen. And as you said there, Harrison Smith, another example – uh, of, a, of a Pro Bowl-type player, although he isn't currently uh, at safety, uh, <laughs> making big plays when his defense needed him the most. Vikings shot out of the gate. I mean, they got, out, they got out there, they made the big plays, they got the big defensive pass interference penalty for 39 yards, yep. were capitalized on that to put points on the board, and after that, really were held in check for the most part. But it just seemed like that little bit of a hole was almost, at, at times, I don't want to say insurmountable, but... 
the Packers just couldn't find that play to put points on the board to get them back within range. Again, had numerous opportunities to do so, but just weren't able to capitalize on those. And I, I think when the Packers go back and look at this thing, as, as Randall Cobb said afterwards, one of the most frustrating uh, performances he's been associated with because I think they understood how close they were to actually being able to not only compete but beat a team that likely is going to end up being you know a, a first-round bye type team in this playoffs. Yeah, the, the Vikings uh... – it felt to me like the Vikings never got nervous. Right. And that's because the Packers didn't do anything to make them nervous, even though for the bulk of the second half, it was only 10 to nothing, then 13 to nothing. It's only a two score game. One touchdown cranks up the pressure on the other team to respond, and the Packers just never put the Vikings in a position to do that. Now, that being said, you look at the roster, the game day roster the Packers are trying to beat a playoff team with. Right. You don't have Clay Matthews. You don't have Nick Perry. You don't have Devontae Adams. You don't have Demarius Randall. As the game goes on, you lose Jordy Nelson. You lose Richard Rodgers. You lose Jason Spriggs at right tackle, so you're shuffling on the offensive line again. So all sorts of things in, in that respect were you know a, an uphill climb for the Packers to begin with. But the frustrating thing is the opportunities were there and they just didn't seize him. Yeah, and you see guys, and we'll talk about this soon, but you see guys like Michael Clark step up. I thought Jamal Williams actually had a pretty decent day given what he yeah, had to work so with too. out of the backfield. But Aaron Jones goes down with another knee injury. Yeah, another injury um, there, yeah. I talked about one of the my points of emphasis, one of my keys of this game was getting both of those guys upward of a dozen touches. They were able to accomplish that with Williams, but Jones and his knee injury, they didn't have that that uh, you know that outside threat with him and what he brings to the table. And then losing Jordy Nelson and Richard Rodgers, you're talking about two of the most durable, accountable players on the entire team. Yeah, um, it's it just and I saw a lot of people's comments on Twitter throughout the course of the game too. It was like, what next? Jason Spriggs goes out on the first play. You had and a guy that like, looks like a pretty. I mean, Mike McCarthy said injury. it's a pretty significant injury. Unfortunately, but as, as, you know, talking to Justin McCray afterwards, his entire week is focused on replacing, likely replacing Jari Evans at right guard. He goes out to right tackle. I just think in some ways. It was kind of a microcosm of way that this season has kind of gone for the yeah, Packers. Yeah, it, it was. It was kind of a summary of uh, of the entire 2017. But with that, we're going to throw it to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkowitz in that one. And Wes, when you look at the Packers' defense here from Saturday night against the Minnesota Vikings, a certainly a respectable effort holding Minnesota to 16 points, really to 13 points, when uh, with the final field goal being a, a turnover on downs that was deep in, uh, in Green Bay territory for an easy uh, extra field goal for Minnesota. But... Um, this defensive, this young defensive lineman that we've been talking about a lot this year, and I'm talking about the second-year pro Kenny Clark, former first-round draft pick out of UCLA. I don't know how many times I've said it, but I thought his season was over when he was carted off yeah. the field with that ankle injury against Baltimore. And not only did he come back, he's playing he's playing as well as any defensive lineman in the league. If you were to vote, if you were to take the all pro vote based on, based on the last month of yeah. the regular season right now, Kenny Clark would be at the top of everyone's list. This is what's interesting to me, Mike, because I, I wrote about this after the game, the, the season he's had. And I think 
as a whole, we romanticize B.J. Raji's final stretch of 2010 during that playoff run, and, and rightfully so. He was a key player and one of the reasons the Packers got to the Super Bowl. Yep. He had 11 tackles and four sacks in the last month, that December stretch of that season. Kenny Clark right now has 21 tackles and four and a half sacks right now in the month of December. That's with one game yet to play, by the way. Yeah. This season has not gone how the Packers want defensively. Not going to sugarcoat that. Not going to say anything that's untrue there. It, it hasn't worked out. Right. But to overlook what Kenny Clark has done and the jump he's made in year two, uh, you know, I think it was uh, Devon House who said this in the locker room afterwards. I mean, him and Mike. Mike Daniels, they're the salt and pepper of this defense. They really are. And I think when you look at a building block for where the Packers take this thing in 2018, it starts there. They didn't have Clay Matthews. They didn't have Nick Perry. So you know what? They needed more out of their inside rushers. Those were the veterans. As weird as it sounds, 22-year-old Kenny Clark needed to be a veteran. Right, yeah. And with two sacks, um, the way he diagnosed that screen pass that led to his second one, this guy has the athleticism. He's He can take on double teams. Good run stopper, but over this past month, he's proven what Mike Turkovac and a lot of these coaches have known for some time. He could be a disrupting pass rusher. Yeah, and Turkovac was the one who said he'd been telling Clark, you know, all of it was on film, especially with his pass rush, that he was getting so close to quarterbacks, and Turgovac was saying, just keep doing what you're doing, yeah. just be patient. Yeah, early in the season, the, the statistics weren't there in terms of the sacks. Well, now all of that hard work, you know, doing what he's doing is paying off because – for all of the sacks that he missed, so to speak, he ends up getting one just by running a quarterback out of bounds. You know, not the fancy highlight reel type of thing, but it counts as a sack because, as you said, he diagnoses the screen pass. It was a really, really good play, and he ends up getting the quarterback out of bounds at the line of scrimmage or one yard behind, however that that turned out to be. But it's a sack, and uh, and he's for an interior lineman, he's racking him up at a pretty alarming rate right now. He's exactly what you're looking for in defensive nose tackles in the NFL in 2017 going into 2018. You want to have you know a guy that can stop the run, but he doesn't have to be 340 pounds anymore. Right. He can be 315 pounds and be just completely country strong and being able to, to really dominate in the trenches. I mean, you look for those guys that are just, I don't want to say road graders because that's a guard term, yeah. but just absolute gritty football players. Kenny Clark has been that since day one, and he was only 20 years old when he entered this league. He's become a guy that I think when you look at the way his career trajectory is going is you're seeing the metamorphosis of a playmaker in a well-rounded three-down football player. You saw the same thing with Mike Daniels in year two. Daniels was a little bit more situational at that time, but he had those six-and-a-half sacks that got onto everybody's radar. Right. This last month of the season, I think Kenny Clark has followed that same path. And if you're looking, again, as I said, for, for one of the things to really point to when you go into 2018 for what could be a strength of this defense, I think Kenny Clark is going to be a guy that, that's going to be getting a lot of notice in the NFL going forward. Yeah, you wonder now, as, uh, as we look ahead a little bit to, to 2018, we saw what happened early in the season with Mike Daniels and that tremendous game he had against the Seattle Seahawks in Week 1. And then, unfortunately, Daniels had some injuries. But we've seen Mike Daniels have to take on double teams and, and whatnot. The film that Kenny Clark has put out there in the last month, 
he's the guy who's going to be getting yeah. the double teams in 2018. And now that's something that personally for him, he's going to have to adjust to. He's going to have to deal with. There's going to be some frustrations and some growing pains through that part of it. But then that's also something that his other mates across the defensive front are going to have to take advantage of because 97 is the one who's he's going to have that target on his back now as offensive coordinators prepare to face the Packers. And let's be honest, Mike, any 3-4 scheme, really any scheme in the NFL – when you can get that pass rush from a nose tackle three tech position, uh, that's the cherry on top. You need to be able to defend the run. You have to be stout in that area. But the biggest playmakers in this league are guys that can get disruption despite the double team, being able to shed blocks. And go back and look at any of his games this year. Show me any film where he's getting pushed backwards, yeah. even on those double teams. He holds his ground. That's where I brought in that strong comment. I mean, it's just incredible to me for a guy that's that young competing against some offensive linemen that are seven, eight years older than him. Yeah. There, there's a line of thinking out there that offensive linemen don't hit their prime until 28, 29 years old because of the strength that you develop over those years in the NFL, and Kenny Clark is standing up to it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm sure we're going to be talking about him a lot in uh, the episodes to come on Packers Unscripted, but for now we'll toss to a break. Back with more right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz over there. And Wes, we got a little bit of a glimpse on Saturday night into what could be some of the future for the Green Bay Packers. And I'm talking about two players in particular, wide receiver Michael Clark and outside linebacker Reggie Gilbert. Both guys very recently brought up from the practice squad to the active roster. And then they get their first uh, regular season NFL game action against the Vikings uh, you can start with who you want to, uh, but both of these guys flashed a little bit of ability. They did, Mike, and, and obviously the result was not what the Packers wanted, but I actually thought they did check a box here in terms of getting their young guys playing time. Reggie Gilbert played 46 snaps, Michael, out of 65, 71%. <laughs> As, I, I, <laughs> Nothing like doing that, excuse me, your first game yeah, exactly. in the NFL. Getting, getting introduced, you know, trial by fire, but I asked him that afterwards. If he had any inclination that he was going to play as much as he did, Reggie, this wasn't just second half either. Reggie Gilbert was out there on like the second defensive series. He was on the right. field. Yeah. The Packers really were counting on him in this football game, and I thought that's exactly what they need to do. It goes back to a comment Jay Ron Elliott, who's you know no longer with the Packers, said to me back during the offseason program because we were talking a lot about you know different rookies and undrafted guys and, and you know players coming off the practice squad that could make an impact. And he said, "Don't sleep." on Reggie Gilbert. This is a guy that has a lot of ability, made a huge transition going from a 4-3 defensive end, defensive tackle at the University of Arizona to a stand-up 3-4 outside backer. Not an easy switch to make. Chris Odoms found that out this year with his, with his move as well to that position. And I think in, you saw his natural tools and assets to be able to get some push, those Kenny Clark sacks. He basically was on on both of them, although he obviously wasn't credited for them. This guy can play, and I think as they go into this game against the Lions, I really want to see more of him because there's a lot of ability there. Touching quickly on Michael Clark, we've seen it. Six foot seven, the catch radius he has. Yep. He's raw. He has a lot of room for growth yet, but that diving catch, I think, really illustrates exactly what he can bring to the table with just how much of a catch radius he has to make a play. Yeah, that was a heck of a, uh, a diving catch there. I believe it was for a 19-yard right. gain, put the Packers Longest in. Longest pass in, of the day. Yeah, put the Packers in position to potentially get some points there. We know, unfortunately, that didn't work out. Um, 
but Clark had a couple of uh, a back shoulder opportunities too that you know wasn't able to quite connect with Brett Hundley on those are plays I'm sure he would like to have right. back they were pretty well thrown balls I give Hundley credit for putting the ball where it needed to be and those are the the learning opportunities the, those that's the next step now for Michael Clark because I'm sure he'd like to get another opportunity and as you said the Detroit game okay here's your chance to follow it up you know and for Reggie Gilbert the same way here's your chance to follow it up and show that you can you know, get some pass rush two games in a row. It's not just about can you do it in one game. It's can you can you perform that way on a consistent basis. I think both of these guys, just by what they've shown already, have put themselves in position to make a serious run at a roster spot in 2018. But that's about as far as I'll go right now because yeah. we're just seeing maybe right. what they can do and and doing it on a consistent basis, game in and game out in the NFL, is another matter. And I know Mike McCarthy said uh, during what would be his Christmas Eve news conference that he's not in the business of preseason. This isn't preseason football. That, right. You, you save that time for earlier in the summer. But the fact that these guys have gotten on the field, they're on the 53-man fifty-three-man roster, which means they're, they have to play. Yep. They're going to get an opportunity to play. I just I think if you're them, you have to be happy with what you saw. Even a guy like Lindsey Pipkins, too their undrafted rookie that they had make the roster this year. Yeah, he, cornerback. He basically spelled Devon House in this game when House had to come out because of what he was dealing with uh, throughout the contest. And I thought he made a nice showing for himself as well without Demarius Randall being available was sort of the next man up at cornerback. I mean, Trevor Davis got opportunities. Jeff Janis got opportunities. Um, a lot of guys that I think people were clamoring for in the inbox when we get comments and questions yeah. were able to get out there on the field. Yeah, and I think it says something. You mentioned Mike McCarthy's comment about this isn't this isn't preseason football. This is going out there to try right. to win football games. The fact that Michael Clark got the snaps that he did yeah. and got the opportunities that he did tells you what they think of him because this this isn't just, okay, let's put him out there and see what he can do. It's let's put him out there and try to win a football game. Yeah. And and that mentality, you know, what the coaches are looking for, what they see, what they expect out of a guy like Michael Clark, they're putting some pressure on him right now to perform. And as you said, I'm very curious to see how he does in Detroit next yeah, week. Yeah, and we're going to get the injury report on Wednesday afternoon, so we'll see exactly where Jordy Nelson is and if Devontae Adams has a chance to play in this game. But if you're missing those two vets, depending on how things shake out, and also depending on what happens with Richard Rodgers at tight end, there's going to be even more opportunity for those young receivers in this game. So th that was a good building block, but I think a lot of them, and as you said, contending for spots next year, yeah. really need to finish strong. Yeah, definitely. With that, let's toss to a break back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, to provide a quick rundown on where the NFL playoff picture stands here, heading into Week 17, one game to go. In the AFC, the division champions are all decided. You have four teams fighting for two wildcard spots, the Ravens, the Titans, the Chargers, and the Bills. Baltimore and Tennessee are the ones who control it. If they win, they get the two spots. Los Angeles Chargers and Buffalo Bills looking to win and get some help in order to get in. On the NFC side, it's two teams fighting for one spot. It's the Atlanta Falcons and the Seattle Seahawks, and the Falcons are the ones in the driver's seat. If they can beat Carolina, they are in. The Seahawks looking to win and have the Falcons lose in order for them to get in. 
what do you think is going to happen? Well, first off, I mean, the AFC, what a wide open race this year. <laughs> I think in some ways, um, you know, the Packers shutout loss to the Baltimore Ravens. Certainly, we always viewed that as a winnable game. But I think not just us. I mean, in general, I think people need to show the Ravens a lot more respect. Their defense is legit. And, and offensively, when they don't make mistakes, they can win football games. I'm not saying they're the most explosive team in the world, but I think a lot of times people saying that that was such a bad loss for Green Bay. But Baltimore is a good football team. They've had a solid second half they of the really years have. coming off of that bye week, which the Packer game here at Lambeau yeah. was their first game after their bye. They've played pretty well since then. They've finished strong, and I think they found their identity offensively. The fact that Tennessee has a chance to win and in is incredible to <laughs> yeah, me. Amazing. I, I said this to you three weeks ago. I couldn't believe they were 8-4 and four at one point. Like, I, I hadn't been paying much attention i know because jacksonville's getting all the headlines and then they're sitting there eight and four when was the last time that division produced two playoff teams right but getting back to the nfc race really going to be interesting to watch uh seeing atlanta and seattle after having all these different scenarios with green bay and, and dallas and detroit all looking in it's pretty finite now and basically who wins is who's in and i think the interesting thing in the nfc that you have to keep in mind in a year like this where the packers have their playoff streak at 8 years ended yeah. not going to the postseason whoever gets in between atlanta and seattle for that last spot in the nfc is the only playoff team from 2016 in the nfc that's going back the other 5 that are all in yeah. they weren't in the playoffs last year this is a compl- almost a complete turnover in one year as far as nfc playoff teams and this is what life is like in the nfl for teams that aren't the green bay packers the pittsburgh steelers and the new england patriots i think sometimes people really overlook how difficult it is to make it one year to the next you have teams that rise you have teams that fall that's the way things work in the free agency era and I think in some ways, with eight straight playoff appearances, you sometimes get desensitized to that fact. Yeah, and interesting what the NFL did here for Week 17. No Sunday night game because of all of these games that depend on this team winning, they can get in, or this team needs them to lose. They wanted those games played at the same time, both in the AFC and in the NFC. So they decided not to have a Sunday night football game for Week 17 so nobody gets a competitive advantage. Kind of an interesting decision. A very interesting decision. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, a new way to do things. But with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.